The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Would you turn to 1 Thessalonians with me? Um, we are in a doing a, a small series called Prayer Grabbing God's Face. And we are just looking at a few topics on the issue of prayer because we want to be a praying people. We want to know God. That's what we talked about last week. We want to know God personally and intimately. And as a part of this, this is not an exhaustive list on prayer, but this is just a few categories that the Lord seemed to bring to mind. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pray for God to meet with us and help us. And then we're going to start looking at this together. Father, we are grateful that we have this privilege of coming before you. And so we ask you to continue to meet with us. Would you open your word to us, God? And would we, Father, be a people defined by prayer, defined by prayer, and that you would be a God who uses prayer to th- for us to thrive as a local church. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been going through... Um, knowing God last week, and then this week we're talking about what does it mean to know God together. And so what I wanted, what, the reason I want us to, to consider this category is I know that we could know God personally, that we could be talking about God, what does it mean to grow our relationship with God, what does it mean to cultivate our life together with God in prayer. <clears throat> but I think it's helpful for us to turn our attention to what does it mean to pray together? What does it mean to know God together in prayer, <clears throat> but why? Why do we want to talk about? Um, why do we want to talk about prayer together as a local church? Um, I think one of the reasons we want to do this, and I got this phrase from somebody recently, we want to pr- talk about prayer as a local church together because we want prayer to be the visible engine of the local church. We want the prayer prayer to be the visible engine of the church together, our life together. We want prayer to be the engine of who we are, how we live together, what we do. We want, we want prayer to be visible as a part of who we are together as a church. We want prayer to be at the forefront. We want prayer to be one of the things that we always do together. We want prayer to be the visible engine of King's Cross and I think the reason why we want this is because at the end of the day, the, the very strange thing about being a local church or being a church, being Christians, is that all the things we want to happen, we can't make happen. We, I mean, you think about all the things that you read about in the Bible that you want to happen in your life or that you want God to do, make you more like Jesus, help you to trust him, to save people. We can't do any of that stuff. Like God has to be the one that does all that stuff. But God in his mercy has ordained that prayer is the way that he gives power and that he advances his mission. So that's why we want prayer as the visible engine of the local church because everything we want to do as a church plant, everything we want to be in the city, everything we want to see God accomplish, we can't accomplish. So prayer is basically just saying, we don't, we don't got the power. We aren't the biggest thing on the block. God is, and we're just going to pray that God's going to do what he wants to do. We're going to join God in what what he's doing, and we're going to to make prayer the central feature of who we are and how we think about things. And also, it's just a a mark of humility to, to, to make prayer a visible part of the church. So, you know, we just had people come up and pray. 
and prayer in our small groups and prayer together, it is a, it is a mark of humility just to say, God, we don't got the power and you've got the power and we're going to make this about you and not about the hype. Like, you know, we could do great marketing. I do marketing for my other job. I know about marketing. I know all the color schemes and what they communicate and the best font to pick and how to, you know, do messaging and all that stuff. We are not about how great we are. We are not about how awesome our logo is. <laughs> we are all about God who seeks and saves the lost and uses people who are buffoons and who don't have their lives together to do the mission. We love to see God do that, but the only way we, we connect what God wants to do and his promises and us is through this humble line of prayer. So that's why we're saying we want prayer to be the visible engine of our lives together because it acknowledges God, it depends on God, and it's how God has promised to give us his power. So that leads us to why are we picking this passage? Why are we looking at this passage? There are uh, lots of passages we could preach on with prayer. I think there's something for us here as a note. There are 41 prayers in Paul's letters in the New Testament, which is incredible. I, I think there's around 40 prayers of Jesus in the Gospels. There is a lot of praying going on. If there's a lot of praying going on in Jesus and Paul's ministries, I think we need to say, we need to have a lot of prayer going on in our church life and our personal lives together. And we are looking at this together because I'm bad at prayer. We are bad at prayer, I think. We just need God's help. And it's not in any way to guilt us. It's to learn and to receive the Holy Spirit's invitation into prayer. And so that's why we're looking at this, this specific chapter, what's going on here, much, actually very similar to us, Thessalonia or Thessalonica. They were a small church plant that Paul had started in the book of Acts, and they were a city of 110,000 people. Sounds like Manchester. They uh, were full of pagan idolatry, they uh, had some Jewish population. Um, they were just kind of like a seedy town. And Paul came in, preached the gospel, planted this church, and then he got run out of town by the mob, basically. They kicked him out. And so he is later thinking, God, how are they doing? How is a small band of church? You know, imagine King's Cross Church. And like, uh, I mean, I know that I'm a great guy. But uh, imagine, like, I got kicked out, and what, what's the church, what's the church going to be like? What's my concern for the church? What's Paul's concern for Thessalonia? So he sends his right-hand man, Timothy. Timothy, go and check on them and give me a report. So Timothy goes, checks on them, comes back to Paul. Paul, here's the deal. Here's a few things going on. But they are just anxious. Paul, they are anxious about this question. Are we going to make it? And often we feel that. We feel, God, are we going to make it as a local church? God, what are you doing? And Paul then pens this letter to them, addressing several issues that we're not going to get into tonight. But what he does, in effect, in this section right here, is while, yes, he, he recognizes, look, there's a lot to be anxious about. There's a lot that you don't know. There's a lot of things that I would love to do to help you. But here's the deal. I'm praying for God to help you. Because prayer is going to be the way that the church receives God's power. And for us to thrive together, we must pray together. So prayer is where Paul takes them. Prayer is what he's talking about as 
the change agent in their lives. Prayer is how God is shaping them. And it is in his example of this prayer that Paul holds out what is God's plan for prayer in the local church. So let me just read this, and then we are going to make a few observations about this. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you. So remember, Paul sent him. Timothy comes back and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if we are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see your face, may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself with our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that, we, so that he may establish your hearts, blameless in holiness, before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus, with all his saints. You see, Paul is holding out for the church that this visible engine of the church is to be prayer, and in, in order to, to grow together, in order to thrive together, we must be praying together. This invitation here that we see to prayer is the Holy Spirit asking us, come into prayer as a corporate church. And the the prayer that he's inviting us into is shaped by this passage in four ways we're going to be looking at. You can think of this, what is the, if you're thinking, okay, give me a mental image, a visible engine of a church, I know how this engine works, with the four pistons that are driving this engine for prayer in the local church, we're going to be looking at encouraging gratitude, real help. Last, uh, my notes mixed up. Real help, abounding love, and lasting holiness. And these are the four aspects I think that Paul is holding out for us. These aren't exhaustive again, but these are four from here that we can be seeing about what does prayer look like in our life together. So let us pick up verse 9, where Paul is holding out for them this invitation for prayer together of encouraging gratitude. So verse 9, Paul simply says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? Gratitude is a major component of Paul's letters. I I went through and I think about half of those 41 inches of prayer in the New Testament or in his letters. At least half, if not like three quarters of them, started out, I thank God for you. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for what I see in you. I'm grateful for what God is doing. I mean, you have, just to, just to pick a few of them, Romans 1, 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world, 1 Corinthians 1, 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1, 5 through 16. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers 
Philippians 1, 3 through 5. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine. I mean, he is thanking, he is saying, every time I pray for you, I thank God for you. I mean, that is an astounding statement. And in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, Colossians 1, 3. I always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when I pray for you. And then at the beginning of this letter, we give thanks to God always for you all, for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. When Paul prays, he thanks God for people. Like he, he thanks God for specific people, for specific reasons, to God, for the grace of God in their lives. When Paul prays, he is, he is thanking God. But the, the weird thing is how Paul phrases this. Do you, I mean, it seems very strange to me. Verse 9. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you Okay, so, okay, that's a normal, God, Paul's thanking God, got it, Paul, sounds good. What are you thanking God for? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. For all the joy that we feel, so we're thanking God, but you see what he's saying? I thank God for for what I feel because of what I see God doing in you. It just seems kind of odd, right? Because like typically we say, God, I thank you for, thank you for Joe. Think what you've done in his life. Paul is saying, God, I, I thank you for how much joy I experience because of Joe. It, it's a bit weird, right? It's a bit weird to say, like, I thank God for all that I experience because of you. It's kind of like, I'm really grateful for how much I'm enjoying this moment right now. And you're just kind of like on the, on the altar. You're just like, hey, thanks, but this is all about me. It just seems kind of odd, right? But I think what Paul is drawing our attention to is that he is encouraged by what he sees God doing in this other person's life. He, he is, in, in, in effect, he is, he is looking at this believer, he's looking at this church, he's looking at you and saying, I see God at work in you, and I love God's purposes. I love to enjoy what God's doing. I am so grateful that you are the object of his grace, that God is shaping you, and then I get to see it. I mean, it's like, it's like he's, he's seeing God's grace, and then he's receiving the, gra- the grace to be able to see God's grace, and then he's amplifying it by expressing it in a way that's encouraging this person. Like He is encouraging them by what he sees God doing in their lives. He is, he is joining God's delight to give grace to this person. And he's doing it in prayer. You, you guys get what I'm saying? Is that... Yes, good. We're all, we're all on the same page. So it's just like seeing God work in each other's lives. I, th- I think that's, it's very simple, but I think when Paul thinks about the local church, he thinks about people that are trophies of God's grace, that he is seeing God shape and change, and he gets the joy of watching it happen. I mean, I think that's one of the joys of being a pastor is I get a front row seat to seeing God work in people's lives. The small decisions, the small ways in which people, you guys are, are trying to be faithful to God and God's grace in your life to, to shape you to be more like Jesus. I think about the last year of the church plant and all the decisions and the, and the sacrifices and the, the ways you have been faithful to Jesus, not just to, to show up to meetings, you're not just a warm body on a seat. You are people that God is shaping to love Jesus, to be more like him. 
I thank God for you. I mean, people ask me, how's the church point going? And I, I just kind of like, well, I, I, it's difficult for me to say because I'm not God. I can't see the church plant from top down. But I just, we, the people, you guys, I'm a rich pastor. I'm so grateful to be your pastor. And, it, and one of the ways, I, I think that Paul would do this if he were here, he would begin to go down the line and he would say, not just kind of in general, I thank God, but I think he would begin to say, I thank God specifically. I thank God specifically for this way in which God is shaping you. Because grace, God's grace in our lives shapes us, right? It shapes us in specific ways, specific choices, specific actions, specific motivations. It changes us in specific ways. Like, it's not just kind of like, oh, I'm a happier person. Well, what? No, it's like, specifically. You know, one of the ways in which I've seen God specifically begin to shape us, Bill's not here, so I can kind of brag on Bill a little bit. One of the ways I've seen God shape us is, I mean, Bill, um, how do I say this delicately? Uh, Bill is not young, um, and Bill has been leading worship for a long time. I mean, you guys know how gifted Bill is at leading worship. But as a part of the church plan, Bill has been very humble in how he's wanting to grow. I mean, he's led worship for like 30 years or something like that. I mean, I'm 31, so like he's basically been reading, leading worship like my whole life, you know. But like, he, he's been, he, he has come into the, the, the church plant humbly wanting to grow and how he can lead worship. And he's specifically, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but his call to worships at the beginning, they have improved drastically. They've, they've just gotten better and better. Every time he is leading worship, his call to worship is just better and better, more on point, more focused, more helpful of making us aware of God's calling us into his presence. And then Bill, the way he puts his songs together, I don't know if you guys are aware of it, but he, he agonizes over how to make those songs fit together so that we experience the gospel together. That is God's grace in Bill's life. Because Bill is, he is senior enough and experienced enough where he could just kind of come on and do the job. But he is continuing to grow in humility, continuing to grow in how he can lead us more effectively in worship. And so that's just an example. That's just one small example of how we, in applying this passage, we can say, God, I thank you for how you have shaped Bill to be a humble worship leader. Bill to be a humble worship leader who cares about how we are led into worship and, if, and continues to put your grace to work to, to become a better worship leader. God, I thank you for that because the reality is Bill would not be doing that if God were not active in Bill's life. And so now we not only get to say, God, we're so grateful for what you're doing, but we now get to join God's joy in shaping Bill to be a more effective worship leader because now we are encouraging Bill by saying, God, thank you for doing this. God, thank you for doing this. Continue to do it. Do more of this, God. We want to see more of it. That, I, and it's just this, it's this kind of like feedback loop of God works. We, we see it. We thank him, we ask him, God works, we see it, we move. It, it's this feedback loop of joining God and thanking him. So as a, as a church, you know, this piston of visible, the visible engine of the local church, I want us to be marked by encouraging gratitude and prayer. And this isn't just kind of like, God, I thank you for Matt, he's such a great guy. No, I want us to be specific in how we thank God. God, thank you for how you are shaping them to be more like you in this area. How can we be more specific in how we thank God? And it's thanking God because of who God is and what he is doing in their lives. I, 
I, I want us to be vocal in how we do this. Paul, you know, on the one hand, we can say, well, we want to be humble. We don't want to encourage pride. Well, Paul's praying out loud right here for them because of what God's doing in them. So I think we can do this in a way that's humble, not stoking pride, uh, but is acknowledging who God is and what he's doing in our lives. So I, I, want us to, I, I want you to hear this. We are called, we are invited to join God in delighting in his grace in each other's lives, which I think results in encouraging gratitude to God. So, but Paul is not done praying for them. He's not done instructing us. What Paul is going to be doing then, he's not just kind of thank God and then sit back. Paul has more to show us. So then picking up in verse 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. I think what we're seeing here is Paul inviting us in to pray with real help. Pray for real help. We see Paul laying out Look, I want, I'm so grateful for what God's doing in your life. I'm so grateful for what he's doing. But you know what? God wants to do more, and I want to be on the scene. I want to be used by God to help you. I want to be used by God to help you. I don't want to just pray for it and just kind of like throw a mulligan and just kind of let God do the deal. No, God uses people to affect his will in our lives. He, he, uses, God, he uses people in the church to shape us, and so we have to show up. Right? Paul is praying, God, I want you to help them. And then God, you know what? I'm on the team. Help! I, I want to be the one that you use. God, send me. God, help me to get there. I don't know what, what Paul is facing. He talks about also in the letter, he was opposed by the devil. So there was clearly some sort of opposition that was going on in terms of being opposed. Get there. He needed God to show up. Again, for Paul to actually realize what he wanted to happen, he wanted to get there. Just a simple thing. God, I want a passport. I want to get there. He is acknowledging, but God, it won't happen without you. I need you to show up. I need your power. I want to be there. I want to help them. So God is asking for help, for it to be the means of help, but he's going to trust God. God, I'm going to trust you for this need. I'm going to trust you for their need, but I, I want to be there. And I think, I think the principle we see here is that prayer... We need to be praying for each other and as a part of our prayer, praying that God would use us to really help each other. Like we're not just going to pray for God to provide. God, would you provide them with a meal miraculously out of heaven? Just drop it on their lap. God, would you put the pasta in the water and spaghetti sauce and then just drop it. If there's a need, pray for God to provide it and then pray, God, would you use me? And, and show up. Like we, this is a part of why we value the local church together because, yes, we, we need God to give us his power, but then he uses us by his mercy, miraculously. He uses people like us to care for each other as his means of grace, as his grace to each other, as his way of caring and providing for us. He uses us. This is why we have small groups. If you ever wonder, why do they have small groups? Is that really important? Do I need to go to a small group? Yes, you need to be a part of a small group. Not because they're just kind of a thing to check off. Because small groups is how we enact and live out this sort of prayer. We want to be praying for God to, really, to provide real help. 
And here we happen to be in a small group where people are really helping me. They're going to provide, you know, so we've, people are moving in, moving, people aren't moving a lot of furniture around lately. God's actually provided real help for people to move furniture around. We, um, we have had financial needs come up. We have had um, tragedy to walk through together provide real help, provide real, real living bodies to stand beside each other, to, to walk through life together. You can imagine that if we are walking through, if whenever God and his providence is leading through you through suffering, the real help that God often provides is people who love Jesus and they show up and they care for you right beside you. And that's because Paul, just in this letter, is praying, God, God wants to care for you. He wants to provide for your need. So he's praying to show up, to be the real help. That's what we are called to pray to be the help to each other. I want to belabor that, but I just want to hold that out as a, as a value from this passage. So, let us pick up verse 12 where we left off. Paul is not only praying for the Spirit's leading to pray together for help, for real help, so that we show up. Paul is then going to be leading us into praying for abounding love. Verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So not only is Paul praying for praying in gratitude that encourages them, is not only he praying for real help, but now he's praying for their love. And one of the things I love about this is because in the background, Paul is basically saying, all y'all need help. All y'all are, all y'all are selfish, and you need God to help you to love each other. I hope you don't mind me using a little bit of some southern slang there. We, we need God to help. We, we are by nature in, inherently selfish. I, I did not have to train my children to be selfish. God does not have to train us to be selfish. He actually saves us from being selfish and sinful so that we can now, in his family, love and abound each other. The word that Paul uses there for... for uh, for increase and abound is that would God give an expansive heart? Would God give expand your heart for each other and love for each other? And what is interesting is that in that remember Paul is writing this letter to a bunch of pagans who just became Christians, and so they still have in their background their entire framework of how you talk about love. So in the background of how you talk about love to them and their context, they would have thought of love in terms of kind of like uh, I love people who can benefit me. If I've got a, uh, a boss, or I've got somebody in my family, or I've got somebody in my social network, and they are the type of person that it would be beneficial for me to be a little bit more affectionate to, you know? Oh, yes, sir, I'll get that coffee for you. I'll be really nice to that person, only because it's going to benefit them, right? So they, the way they would have thought about love is, I'm going to use this tool of love to get people who are more powered to be nice to me. But Paul is saying, this church... That's not the way it works. Church, people who are in power, people who have no power, people who are free, people who are slaves, all men and women, all socioeconomics, Trump supporters, Clinton supporters, Sanders supporters, all the political spectrum, all of them, love is not going to be conditioned upon how you can be benefited from it. Love is going to be an expansive soul of delighting in another person because they 
are an object of God's love. Loving other people because of who they are and who God is do, what God is doing in them, not because they have any benefit to you. Prayer, this engine, this engine of prayer is going to be fueled by abounding in love for each other. We want to be growing in this type of love, this Christ-centered love for other people. And I find this, help, this, little, this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer helpful in addressing, adjusting our self-centered love to being an abounding love for other people. He says, self-centered love constructs its own image of other people about what they are and what they should become. Right? We, he's saying, we all have this picture of who each other, we think is best for, it, for other people. It takes the life of the other person into its own hands. Spiritual love, so this spiritual love is the abounding love that we're talking about. Spiritual love recognizes the true image of the other person as seen from the perspective of Jesus. It is the image of Jesus, it is the image Jesus Christ has formed and wants to form in all people. This view of who God is making other people to be, not putting our agenda over other people, not saying, you must become this type of person because really that'd be more convenient for me. Uh, whatever that is. Whatever, whatever your preferences are of how the world should be governed, imposing that upon other people and saying, I'm loving them. I want them to be at meetings on time. I want them to check their email correctly. I want them to do whatever. You know, like imposing your change agenda upon other people. No, no, no. Jesus has his own agenda. And Jesus has the perfect agenda, Right? Jesus has this sort of agenda that is gracious and caring and comes alongside. And what we are praying for when we're saying, God, give us abounding love, is we're praying for Jesus' eyes and how we view other people. We're praying for how Jesus sees other people. We want Jesus' perspective. God, give me your eyes for your love and your change agenda in this person. Not, not my own. Because the reality is we, we're going to be annoyed by each other. We're going to be we're going to be perturbed by each other. Um, the reality is that these people that Paul is talking to would have been very different people, all thrown in together, and every local church is going to walk through troubles. Right? <laughs> if you just look at it, <clears throat> I don't know if I'm a great pastor, but I don't think I'm an apostle, and the apostles' churches all had problems in them. <laughs> right? Twelve of Paul's, thirteen. Paul wrote 13 letters, and 12 of them were all because people, things were going down and Paul needed to step on the scene, right? And if Paul could be a pastor and care for churches and things still go down, I think we can expect as a part of our life as a church, as a part of the, the, the fall and sin and how it's just so destructive and creeps in, trouble comes no matter who you are or how great your pastor is. It's just going to happen. And I'm not, I'm not saying that because I have anything in mind but I want us to be holding this out. We want to be praying ahead of time. We want to be praying for God, would you, would you expand my heart to love the people in our church, to, to love the people in our small group, to love the people that you know, kind of do things differently than how I would do things. Or they just do that thing where they just, it's, it just grates against me, it gets on my nerves. I, I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a great, instruction to follow up what we just said. A Christian fellowship, so it might be a, a church, King's Cross, lives and exists by the intercession 
of its members for one another, by the, by, its, by the prayer of its members for one another, or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His face that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. No, no matter no matter what somebody has done to offend you, and I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay real offense. I'm not trying to downplay that, that it's, it's very difficult or the pain that we can cause each other, but it is what Paul is holding out, praying for each other. It is in prayer that somebody is transformed from being an enemy to being my brother, for, to being my brother or sister, somebody that, that I care about. If you pray for somebody, you can't help but by the Spirit's power, grow in loving them. It just, it's a part of God's grace and how he shapes us. We, we grow in loving each other by praying for each other. And so guys, I just want to say, you know, we're not very far into this church plant. We're going to get old and crotchety at some point. But between now and then, we're going to have problems. Can we just be praying that when those problems come, when we have issues that come up that we have to work through, that we love each other? Jesus says that the world would know us by our love for each other. May we know each other, may we be known as a church that loves each other, even when we very strongly disagree with each other, or have real problems we have to work through. We can still love each other. The Spirit wants to grow us. And so the way, by the, by the Spirit's wisdom, would we be a church that, that prays for loving each other because we want to love each other for the good times and the bad times. We want to be a church marked by love, love that is fiercely committed to God's purposes in each other's lives. Sorry. Sorry. And patient with the pastor. We want to be a people that is loving and abounding in a heart that can embrace the problems in each other's lives. So, not only does Paul want us to be a church that prays to encourage each other and to help each other and then to love each other, but he also wants us to be a people that is praying for lasting holiness. So we're not just praying for love and kumbaya and sit around the campfire, but we want to be, we want to be serious in how we do our Christian lives together. So we, we're, we're going to look at verse 13 praying for lasting holiness. So, so he's praying, now may our God and Father himself, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God, our Father, before God and Father at the, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. You see, we... Paul is telling us that to pray for the very people that we will be seeing on the last day. Paul is holding out that as a church, we want to be a people that last to the end. We want to be a people that grow to be more like Jesus, to become more like him. And the way we do that is by growing in holiness. And the way we know that we're going to see God is to pray that we will grow in holiness to see God face to face. But see, it's a bit weird, right? Because if, if the way Paul is saying this again, the way his prayer is, because he's saying, we're praying 
for God to work in you, but we already know that God's working in you. So we know that God's working in you, and that we're praying for God to keep working in you. It's just kind of like, it's this weird phrasing, right? Like Paul is saying, God, God is working in you to grow you and to be more like Jesus. God is working in you to be more holy, to be more God, and to grow in holiness. God is already doing that, but you know what? We are praying for God to do that. It's a bit weird, right? I mean, it seems a bit strange how he's, God, would you keep doing what you're already doing? If it seems strange to you, welcome to the Psalms and welcome to the Lord's Prayer. That's the way prayer works. Like, prayer is not really so much of, like, reminding God, hey, God, you know what? I really think people need to be growing in holiness. Would you think you could pick that up? God, God is already working in people. God is already working. And we are, in prayer, joining God and what he is already doing. We are joining God's purposes to grow us to be more like Jesus. We are praying that God would continue to do what he's already doing. And what Paul is holding out is that holiness is essential to God's purposes in each other's lives. We want to be people that are growing to be more like Jesus. We want the spirit to be what's called beautifying the soul. We want the spirit to be working in each other's souls to make us more like Jesus, to grow, to be more like Jesus. And prayer is how we join God's purposes of holiness in each other's lives. We want, want people to be growing in holiness. We, want to just, we, want to, we don't want to see people languish. We want to see people become more like Jesus. But why, why is Paul, because Paul could say that, right? He could say, he could say, you know what? I pray that God would help you grow in holiness, amen. But he holds out holiness, this growth to be more like Jesus in relationship to the last day, right? So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. So right there, blameless in holiness. And you could just say, amen. Before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Why does, why, does he, why does he attach that holiness aspect or that prayer for holiness aspect to the last day? I think what Paul is recognizing is that the place where God helps us to grow in holiness are, is often problems that are not going to go away until the last day. There are problems in our lives that they're just not going, they're just not going to change. We can pray for God to change them, but sometimes the brokenness is just not going to change until Jesus comes back. The, the, the pain that we experience, there are some things that God, if he chooses not to heal, will be constant physical pains until the end of our days. There will be some things that just will not be resolved. But Paul is saying, God's, go, God's going to be faithful to help you, to, be, to grow in holiness, even when the problems are not going to go away. They, they, they're too big, they're too strong, they appear to be too monumental, but they will ultimately be dealt with. They will ultimately be dealt with. Your holiness is moving towards, not the problems being resolved, but your holiness is moving towards seeing Jesus face to face. Where your, all of your problems, all the things that won't go away, all the things and the, the, the ticks and the, the problems and the internal wrestlings, all the things that just do not seem to change or grow, go away, they will all be resolved in the day when Jesus steps on the earth and vindicates the weak and vulnerable and the broken. He will vindicate all of your sacrifices. He will make everything right. He will make all the things that you have laid aside for Jesus. He will make all the pain and suffering and trouble that comes with growing in holiness. All of that will be vindicated and proven by Jesus changing all things in the power of his word when he steps on the earth and vindicates. 
He will vindicate you. It is the, it, and this is the sort of prayer we pray that we are praying in effect to latch on to the last day, that we would move in that direction. We are moving towards the last day because we want to see Jesus face to face. When we see Jesus, we want to have been moving towards him. And that, the path of holiness is just moving towards Jesus to be more like him. And it's on that path that Jesus is moving us towards him, that we will, we're growing in holiness together. We, I, guys, my holiness, my holiness to see Jesus face to face in some ways depends upon you praying for me. Your holiness to see Jesus face to face in some ways depends on, on me praying for you. I, I don't quite understand how God puts all this together, but we grow in holiness together because God has put us in a family that we will see him face to face where he will... We'll make all things make all things new, and then we will see by sight the things in each other's lives that we've been praying for. Praying for each other to be more patient and loving and caring and kind. Praying for each other to, to overcome the, the addictions that we face, all of the, the pain that marks our lives. You see, on that, that last day. That last day, we'll see by by see we'll see by sight what we've been praying for as a church. We'll, we'll see Jesus make make each other perfect in His presence. I think that's why Paul said he ends at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. That'll be all the people that we've been praying for. You're there. I'm there. We're, we're there together. We're we're there with Jesus because he was so kind as to use our prayers to, to shape each other, to be more like him. I, th- I think what Paul is holding out for us here, this visible sign, this visible engine of prayer, you see that what we've been talking about, encouraging each other. We've been talking about how we can thank God for what he's doing in each other's lives. We can ask God to help us use each other to care for each other. We, we can pray for God we can pray for God to work abounding love for each other so that we don't just kind of tolerate each other, but we love each other. And because we love each other, we are so eager to, to see God face to face with each other, to abound in being like Jesus. You see this engine, these are all things, gratitude, love, provision, holiness. These are all things that, guys, we were just saying, we, we can't do any of these, we can't. No matter how great our programs are, we can never make each other change to be like Jesus in these areas. We can never change our city to be like these things. But God loves to provide the power. God loves to use our prayer as a church to do these things. That's why we, we see Paul holding out for us here that we, we thrive together when we pray together. We, we must pray together to thrive together. We, as a church, we must have a prayer which has prayer as a visible engine that is moving us towards this last day to see Jesus. It is a visible engine of prayer that causes us to thrive together. We, we must pray together to thrive together. So guys, let me hold this out for us. Let me ask, are you, are you, are you praying for each other this way? And, and I, I say that saying, I'm not. God, help me. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray, we're going to close the sermon, and then we're going we're to take the Lord's Supper, and then during our last two songs, I have basically just 
a few points that we're going to pray for, pray through together. We're going to all, all instruct us, but we'll break into small groups and we'll pray for each other. We're just going to put this right into practice. We want to pray for each other in these things. So let me pray for us and then we'll receive the Lord's Supper. Father, we are so grateful that you invite us into your presence. And God, we, we ask that you would help us to grow in prayer together. We, we pray, God, that you would help us to pray for each other. Yeah, we, we pray for our prayers. It seems so strange, God, this whole category of prayer. But you are a bewildering and yet gracious God. So we know that you are helping us right now. So God, would you, would you help us to pray for each other so that we would thrive together as a local church? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.